गुड मॉर्निंग प्रूव माई थियरी द लाउडर यू आर द लाउडर दस रिस्पॉन्स ओके आई नो देर आर लॉर्ड ऑफ थिंग्स गोइंग ऑन इन आर माइंड्स आई डोट नो वॉट ऑल इज गोइंग ऑन इन योर माइंड्स बट आई नो फॉर श्योर देर लॉर्ड गोइंग ऑन इन आर किड्स माइंड्स टूडे देर इज अ एग्जाम अवेटिंग दैम आफ्टर द मैसेज बट द इंटेंट इज प्लीज डोंट स्टडी ड्यूरिंग द मैसेज या द होप इज दैट यू हैव स्टडीड आई नो इट हैपन्स ड्यूरिंग योर एग्जाम्स यू माइट हैव अ special bonus question coming in from the message so please keep your ears wide open for the others the hope is much better it's not for us to sit and listen but for the spirit of god to move us and that's what's been happening since today morning the lord has been working through each and every song every message that is coming in through us and how how that brings us to the focal point of today's message is so wonderful because i know it's not man made none of these were prepared through all of these are led through the spirit because the love of god was proclaimed so strongly and the love of god was shown so strongly on the cross it's important for us to truly grasp what we're dealing with here because it's not a very simple passage to go through and there is a learning that we will pick up somewhere in between of what one sunday school student among us did point out as a learning for him but the important message that god has to bring to us today is truly how divergent believing in god can lead our lives to be it is very different from what we would have imagined a life with christ means so much that Christ can move us to do and we are not alone in this journey when we look at the word of god it very clearly says that there is so much that god works through the lives of his people that we sometimes do not realize that it is not us so the passage today covers a lot of depth uh, across the gospels this is not the only place where this incident is mentioned it is there in mark it is there in uh, matthew but we will not go through all of those topics due to the paucity of time what we will touch upon is a few areas that god wants to speak to us today on just testing if this is working okay if not uh, can you move this to the next slide so the important aspect that we will try to set a little bit emphasis on before we go ahead is the context of what god wants to talk to us today don't worry about what's happening in the slides there's not much content over there to read through but please listen in matthew mark and luke are all portraying the same incident but they're portraying it through different facets the facets that Matthew looks through the facets that Luke point out through and the facets that Mark puts us through is not but there are three different people led by the same spirit of God to write so it is not a copy paste so when we deep dive through the story we will need to understand the context from all of these perspectives to get a larger picture in place all right so when we read Luke chapter 11 verse 14 it very clearly talks about a fact that there is 
a demon that Jesus is driving out. And we read the demon was mute. A demon which cannot speak. Now, if you turn to Mark uh, chapter 3, the aspect over there talks about a very different picture. Uh, an added point that Mark wants to put into perspective is Mark chapter 3 verse 20. He says, Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. There's so much going on that we have been seeing over the past few weeks. So many incidents. Now Jesus' popularity has gone through the roof. There are so many people who want to meet him. There are so many people who are looking out to get healing. There's so much that they think Jesus can do for them in their lives. But Jesus is not getting time enough to eat. Is that the major problem that he's trying to solve here? Not necessarily. He's got a group of people that we read in Luke chapter 11 who have now seen a wonderful miracle happen in front of their eyes. The miracle is that there is a mute man who is demon-possessed and he is healed. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 talks an added perspective, reading from verse 22 onwards. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. So here is a man who is demon-possessed, who has got a possession maybe of being mute, but he is also blind at the same time. I mean, it's, it's so much that he does not have any sensory perception of what's the world going on around him. But Jesus does the unthinkable. He does not throw a lot of theatrics. There is no huge procession of people looking into what Jesus can do. But the point that Jesus is trying to bring in here is, what is it that he can really do in your life? You might be blind, you might be mute, there is so much going on. But at the end of the day, you have come to the right person who can take care of what your needs are. So we might think, well, this situation is very simple. Jesus has gone ahead and healed the person and we have got people who are amazed. So there are three groups of people that come in out of this. And first group of people are people who are amazed. And that's where we see in verse 14, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. The first words probably that he's been speaking, no clue when he was in this possession for how long. Maybe it was years back, maybe it was since birth. We have no clue, no inputs. But there are people who haven't heard this man speak for quite some time. And here is the man speaking. And as usual, the crowd is amazed. The next slide, Jody. If we could go into two slides further. Yeah, so there. So here is a group of people where the Lord is working in a crowd and there are people who are thronging him. He's sitting in a house for all that we read in Mark and Matthew, and he's got no time. There's so much of need that he's trying to reach out to. And uh, you will not realize when you go to the next slide, the the three groups of people that we look into. Georgie, can we move on? Next slides. So the three groups of people that we deal with, right? The first group is this. There are people who speculate. There's a group who's thinking, who is this person? Uh, 
the first question that they actually ask is could this be the christ it's it's not uh, mentioned here but when you go to the other gospel passages we'll not go through there in uh, due to lack of time but it talks about very clearly an in- introspection that they are looking at and saying is this does this resemble what we want in in god in christ that we were looking for or is it different i don't know is he the son of god could be they still not clear we have the second group of people those are the people who have been studying this throughout i mean i call them the scholars the people who have put their lives into determining what the torah was all about what god was all about their question is slightly different i said he is not having this power from god this look you see the polar opposites right this is not from god is it some demon god is it a spirit of a demon god who's possessed this jesus that he is able to do something so spectacular i mean this is not normal by any standards i have studied the scriptures i understand what's going on there's something amiss here so their theory that they are putting across is not a god but something really sinister behind that then there's a third group the third group we read through the gospels also points out to a pharisee group of pharisees also and the third group is still asking a question okay I've, maybe i can put that foot forward and say that you might be god but would you be able to do a magic trick for us get me a sign from heaven get me something believable that you can do that is heavenly in nature so that we can put a stamp of approval on it and say yes you are god it's not easy because the gr- three groups of people that we are talking about are putting forward three different ideologies as to how they want to point out to the same person who christ is and that is where our gospel begins right unless we know who he is everything is speculation is he the son of god while there's so much that people want to put together as a picture if you see in mark we see that his family is also involved his family members want to now go and confront him what is he up to i mean he's creating a lot of issues here they want to go and speak to him he's got a crowd which is confused there is so much of commotion during which the ask is what a special I, i mean i don't really realize i'm not able to put a finger on this but who is this jesus is not really clear to me it's kind of like the match which happened last week right india pakistan i don't know 10th 15th over we're still wondering who's going to win i mean bookies had a very hard time figuring out whether they'll make money or not are we in that boat still figuring out who jesus is because it's easy to hold on to a point of view which says jesus is a great man nobody will discredit you for that but are we going beyond the next group of people have put together a claim that is very different they say that jesus is possessed by this demon god that is called as belzebub and this god is referred to 
in the bible for second kings chapter 1 verse 2 i'll not go there but it's it's almost like saying that there's there's a power in jesus that is different but we don't really know what it is so i don't want to speculate god i might as well put the devil into the picture because god means it i have to believe in him devil yes i can start discrediting we've got problems when we start attributing the power of god in our lives to something's ordinary sometimes we like to be explained to as to why certain things are happening in our lives and when we don't have an answer what we do speculate and when we speculate more often than not we can brush it off as coincidence we can brush it off as luck we can brush it off saying that not too significant or are we doing exactly what the pharisees here are doing they're saying that this is not heavenly well the third group has moved a step forward they are not trying to speculate they say okay he might be god they are not trying to put forward a theory which discredits what jesus did they said might be true but i need one more i am not happy with what's happening here but i need real signs i need wonders it's sparkling and when we read matthew chapter 24 turn with me to matthew chapter 24 that's exactly what's going to create a problem matthew chapter 24 was 24 says for false christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible there is a great deception that is awaiting and that deception is based only on signs and wonders if we get carried away by signs and wonders there's a challenge now when we go and see a magic show i don't know how many of you have actually witnessed a live magic show if you see a magic show you get wondered by the fact that is it truly happening or not I mean no matter how old you are you still question yourself it does defies logic right the ball was there it disappeared where did it go the magician's hands are all free i didn't see any wires the ball's not fallen down where did it go is it really magic it's too wonderful to believe and i'm still searching for the answer as to why that has happened because till that mind is put at rest we are still forced to believe that there is something different could it be magic next slide so what what do we look at this at there is so much in a life of a believer that talks about a confrontation from different groups of people and believers life each of us should know is not an easy walk it's not an easy walk because confrontation is not an exception it's a expectation knowing that you step into faith with god means that you step sometimes out of relationships with others sometimes out of bondage with sin which impacts you adversely that step is very difficult people are still trying to find an answer as to why jesus did all of this there are a lot of theories but it is more of saying that i am not really putting my put forward to believe what you are trying to tell me it's not easy when when we read 
Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a guarantee which comes with the life of a believer. But what believers sometimes try to do is get away from confrontations by being confirmationist. I'm trying to conform to what's going on so that I don't create a controversy. It's a wrong approach because we are called to a life of controversy. I mean, the idea is not that you go forward tomorrow to create an issue and fight with your uh, friend and say, boss, you need to start doing this. This is wrong and uh, really believe it. You have to. That's, That's not the intent. Living your life is a controversy. So how controversial is your life as to where you are? And sometimes that's the metric that I pick up on my own to see that am I trying to confirm to what's going around me so that people don't realize I'm different? Am I trying to behave like them but not like Christ? It's easy to slip into these areas ever once in a while because that's how deceptive Satan is. Satan is trying to put forward a theory which says that You don't need to do all of this. Chill. Do not make drastic changes in your life which will make others think. Not required. You can still believe in your heart. God trusts your heart. You you see the rationalization that can keep coming back to you thinking, it's all right. No, we are called to a life of controversy. Yeah, Let's move on. What does God say in the middle of all of this? He's trying to correct three groups of people now. Yeah. So the first group of people he doesn't really interact with in this scenario. Uh, but the word of God, multiple times he has called groups of crowds that are following him as unbelieving, as wicked. They saw a lot of things that what he's doing. Maybe if there was a TV channel on at that time, Jesus was... The front news. But I still don't believe him. You're still trying to figure out who is he, who is he. I I mean, you might give me a lot of information, but I'm not really able to take in what God is able to do through all of this. Yeah, let's in Luke chapter 9 itself, and we had covered this previously. Luke chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus calls this group of people oh believing, unbelieving, and perverse generation. This is The large crowd that has come to meet him. Luke chapter 14. When you read verse 25 and 26. It says large crowds were following. Travelling with Jesus and turning to them. He said if anyone comes to me. And does not hate his father and his mother. His wife and children. His brothers and sisters. Yes even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. I mean it's like Jesus is just pushing away crowds. But what he's actually trying to do. Is sift through. To figure out who's genuinely looking up to him. It is not the crowd of people that came in to Sunday church which defines what God is looking for. It is what is there in the hearts that we have brought to him. He's sifting through everything that we put in. And yesterday uh, I was reading to the fact that Jesus calls people to Stop judging. When we read this in John chapter 7 verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He's calling upon people to exercise judgment 
by looking beyond what is happening in front of you. Think. God has not called us to just be gullible to what's going on. Because then we have a challenge. And we'll read through that, maybe look through that a little later. But Jesus is not looking forward to add his followers on Instagram and say that how many people are following Jesus? Is he a core influencer? It is not, believing is not a herd mentality. And I've seen this a lot in, in the outside world where there are 10 people going somewhere, I will tag along because I have nothing else to do. Not because I wanted to be there. That is not how believing the Lord Jesus Christ is. It is an individual commitment, conviction to take forward. So don't be deceived by the fact that I am a, there's a group of believers so I am a part of it and therefore I am doing good. How is your personal relationship with him? Let's move on to the second group. This is a smart chap group. Yeah, they have, they have studied, they know a lot and the Lord is using two parables to explain to them. Now, parables which clearly talk about two areas, right? What does it say? It talks about an undivided kingdom and it talks about the strong man's house. Now what is Jesus trying to actually correct in these people's lives? He's trying to tell them that if there is a kingdom and there is infighting, that kingdom is not going to stand. I mean, when you tell me that I am driving out demons by demons themselves, it defies rational logic. Why would Satan do that? I mean, it's, it's like saying that Satan put the demon in that person and we are asking the demon, Satan himself saying, come out. That's, that's not how a kingdom works. You need to work together with each other. And an undivided kingdom is not going to, is going to stand strong, but a divided one is not going to stand where it's supposed to be. So how can Satan's kingdom stand if it is divided against himself? But more importantly, he also points out to the fact that when you tell that this is what's happening here, and this is the logic and the rational that you have provided, how do your followers do it? Because they also seem to be exercising demons. So are they doing by the same token? Is it the same? Then he talks about a strong man's house. And this is like saying a man who's got all his security in place. Let's assume you want to go to Jeff Bezos' house. Yeah. The richest man I could think of now. But imagine you're going to his house. You have enough security guards, you have top of the line cameras and all of that. How do you want to go to his house and arrest him? Let's assume that was the goal given to us. I can't do that until it is something, I'm somebody stronger. Or I have an authority of somebody stronger. It's not going to work. How does a demon get overpowered if somebody stronger is not working there? It talks and points again. The Lord is talking to the Pharisees, the people who must understand what is at work here. 
And if they get that answer right, it's enough for them to believe. He's trying to say that what has happened here is not a mere small incident. It is the power of God that is displayed in the life of a person that you're trying to brush away as the power of Satan at work. Now the third group of people, they are as skeptical as usual. I mean, give us a sign. We've been waiting for this for some time now, but I don't see anything that can prove that you are the Son of God. And a lot of questions that keep coming back to us again and again is, sometimes people say, if I knew what was the reason for suffering in this world, I would have believed in God. If I knew why this was happening in my life, I would have believed in God. But what you realize is when you got that answer right, you found the next problem that you don't have an answer to and start questioning. It's a never-ending scenario. It's not going to meet its finite conclusion if we continue being skeptical about everything that happens in my life. Should we question? Definitely. But are we clear when we walk out? Are we sitting on the fence? And fence sitting is a very difficult problem. And how does Jesus address this group? He answers them from verse 29 onwards. He answers them with the fact that this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah was a man who completed his mission because he was in turmoil. He did not believe in the mission. But the work that he did among the Ninevites saved a nation. So therefore it wasn't the power of Jonah that worked through all of those. But Jesus is also bringing the focus to one point, right? None will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now this portion does not talk about the entire context of what's given here, but it, the, the reference in other Mark and Matthew also points to the fact that as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man. So the point that Jesus is trying to tell these skeptics is that look to the example of Jonah and you'll find that parallel in the salvation that is planned for mankind. He's pointing out to the resurrection. And how important is that, right? When Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 13 onwards. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see how pivotal that sign is. Resurrection is the pivotal sign to everything that they had to look forward to. Every person who claimed to know other than Christ, what happens beyond the grave is still in the grave. Why do people go to important places to worship and see? Because they find that these are the tombs of people who claimed that they are going to God. The tomb is still there. When I see somebody has a claim and they have proof that that claim is true, I would be foolish not to believe in that person. That's what we heard about today since morning, right? The foolishness that the cross is. It's not because of logic and rational that we believe, but because we can see the power of God at work at the cross. If the cross wasn't there, if Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead, what we do here every day of our lives is futile. We are living in a wrong notion of what God wants us to live in. Because we don't trust in the God who's risen from the dead. We don't look forward to a hope that we will do the same. We are to be pitied among all men. Why? Because the kingdom that we are living for does not exist. It's there in our minds. When we move on, the the core message that we take away from this is how clear is your conviction? The clarity in conviction is very important. Knowing what you believe in is very important. Because that's the foundation on which your whole faith stands. It is not built on rational only. The word of God expects us to study more, learn more about Him, understand who He is. But it also expects us to use that knowledge to grow. Just like a babe who looks outside the window during a rainy season and wonders, why is this shower going on? Who switched on the tap in heaven? That's that's the explanation that we might give, right? There's a tap switched on, it's leaking, the clouds are leaking. But try telling that to a 10-year-old doesn't work then why then do we hold on to childish understanding of the word of God and saying that is sufficient I don't need to learn the word of God beyond that the power of God at work is very important for us to grow and we are expected to be growing disciples how do I grow if I don't feed myself through the word of God in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and 16. We read this. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How prepared are we to give an answer to everyone who asks if I am not clear? If I am not able to explain what I believe in, in my own mind, I can't explain that to somebody else. You can't teach your children something that you yourselves don't understand. You can't teach them, you can tell them. But if you can't really believe and internalize what you are trying to explain to them, you can't teach it to them. And that's a challenge with believing households. Where people find it a challenge to teach because they don't find examples in their own lives to give. So why we trust in somebody is very important, right? It's, it's, uh, it's not a small uh, question. It's a larger picture. When we move to the next slide, what we can understand is that's what Jesus calls us to do. A call to trust, a call to believe in who He is, a call to understand that He is much more than what our feeble minds are trying to put a construct together. A God of all eternity, when we talk about the ancient of days, we are talking about a God who knows everything from the time that we have thought about earth and beyond that in eternity past. The kind of understanding and perspective that he has is very different. And with our finite minds, we are trying to put together a picture and trying to put a trust in this God in our finite timeline. We have a start and an end date. It's during these two points in this entire line, we are trying to figure out whether I need to believe in this God who's got an eternity past and an eternity future. So how do I trust? Next. Jesus says this very clearly when he talks about this to the people. He tells them, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's taking a very clear viewpoint saying that there cannot be a fence sitter. You are either on this side or the other. Make up your mind. You cannot sit in one side of the fence and say that I want to be there but I am sitting here just for the sake of it. Or my mind is always over there but I am here. No. There is there is no way that you can say that I am not with Jesus but I am not against him. You know, the statement goes in the face of all of that. If you are not with him, the position is only you are against him. There is no midway. How do I see all of this in picture? It's not easy. Because it talks about a conviction, it talks about a clarity of what you believe in. I'm being rooted in it so that it doesn't make a difference no matter what happens in my environment. I'm not swayed by that. I know of a new believing family that came to faith and this person comes from a household um, where they have Brahmins. And she's just come into the faith uh, quite recently and the conviction at which she speaks amongst her family has led many more to the faith only because 
she is clear as to what she believed in. The clarity of your belief helps you and the people you interact with. Because do you sound believable when you say that I trust in Jesus or it's a hashtag thing going around that I just want to be a part of? Does it make an impact through your life? So as we move on, what do I do with this? Trusting who he is is very important. But when we trust what he is doing. I mean, Jesus is trying to explain the situation in as much words. What's, what's really happening behind the scenes? Because we don't get a glimpse into spiritual realm, right? It's these small tiny areas where God is trying to reveal. It says about a spirit which goes out. Then what happens? The person comes and sets their life in order. It's a three-bedroom house, all set up. Spirit comes back and finds out it's ready for accommodation. There's no tenant. So it's available. And the evil spirit says, it is not fair for me to stay here alone. It's a three-bedroom house. I will go and get seven more spirits. Not at my level, more wicked than me. We should have a party. I mean, I cannot be the standard. It should be higher. So I go, pull out seven more spirits and we have a huge party at the three-bedroom house. And while I will not name the child who stole this, one of the learnings that somebody gleaned from this passage was, this is the reason why I don't clean up the house. Now, why is this important? The lives of believers are to be set straight in the light of the word of God and not in the light of what you think is good and evil. It is an empty, futile effort. If you try to fill the gap, the void in your life that is spiritual with something that is not spiritual. When we talk about the word of God, it says very clearly that we are called to be a dwelling for the spirit. That's who we are, a temple. But that temple cannot be left empty. You don't find any temple where it is left empty. There is a God. Now who is that God? Is defined by that person who set up that temple. God who set up the temple of the human body defines that the Holy Spirit's dwelling has to be in him. But man who is the temple decides all of a sudden says, I can have a choice whether to allow the Spirit of God to work or put somebody else in. But God is talking about the fact that it is not easy to do what I am doing. Getting rid of an evil spirit is good. But do you know that it can come back even worse? Relapse is bad. Those who we hear of cancer, the only worry that we have is hope it doesn't relapse. When addicts go through de-addiction, the only looking forward hope is they don't relapse. But what happens? Do you know 40 to 60% of addicts, depending on what addiction you're looking at, do relapse. Why? Because they were trying to do a lot of good work, but at the end it didn't pan out as they thought it out to be. Is that how we are trying to order our lives? Keeping God aside and saying, I am trying to be a good person. 
My friend, that's exactly how the world does it. It's not different, but exactly how the world does it. Now, why should I call this to be different? Next slide. We call this different because we are not of our own. We are bought with a price that God has paid. God has given a spirit in our hearts. So how we deal with it is very important because it shows us clearly what our priorities are. If our priorities are just to set life in order, I need a group to be interacting with me so that they can give me tips as to how to put my life in order. Church is not for you. Because the word of God is not talking about putting your life in order on earth. It's about an eternity perspective. If I don't have that in picture, I've got a very temporal view of what I need to do. And that is not eternity driven. So as we move on, how do I get, how do I put all of this together? What do I do? It's the next slide. So the point is, how do we understand the power of God that is within me? How do I understand that this is really working, this is building through my life, this is focusing on what I need to do? The next slide talks about it in three different ways. Yeah, When we talk about the spirit-filled life, it actually means in three different perspectives. It is When we think about filling, we always think that you pour water into a glass and that's filling the cup. No, that's, that's not how the filling of the Holy Spirit actually looks like. It's not an empty cup being filled or anything. It's, it's three different meanings of that Greek word actually when I went through. One is the fact that it's just like a ship selling sail. What do we need to get filled for the ship to move? Wind. The sails have to be filled with wind to move. That's how the Spirit of God works in our lives. How do we Look at, the God, uh, look at God working through our life by pushing us to do what He wants us to do. It's, it's not me, it's not I. It's not the iPhone, iPad, iPod. It is God. The I doesn't matter in that relationship. The second way that we do it is what we see as permeation. And I mean, we see this in a lot of examples. But if you put an aspirin tablet into water, what happens? It fizzes and it disappears. It's magic. But what happens is the essence of that medicine is there in that water for us to consume. How has the Spirit of God taken control of every aspect in our life? Is there a bedroom in our heart that is not covered by the Spirit of God? Saying that I cannot do this, it's too difficult I don't think I need to let God into this. My life is running fine. No change is required. The third is control. I mean, there's a lot of control in the hand. It's not talking about the Congress party. Lot of control in the hand of the traffic policeman who stands on the road and puts his hand out. Just a hand. It stops a big car, truck, bus lot of control. Are we under the control of me or the Spirit of God? Because 
if we are under the control of the spirit of god i listen to every instruction that god gives obedience to his word is how i show that i love him am i under that control now i i want to end with this story the important question that we leave with is what is your trust relationship with this god and the story that i want to talk about is is particular man who wanted to go on a cruise he was a poor guy he was thinking i've seen these ships depart it's so majestic i just want to be there once so what he does is over a period of time he collects money it takes a long time he's a poor guy collects enough money and he's gone to this travel agent he's gone through a few brochures and figured out this is the place that i want to go this is the cruise that i want to be in and he pays for the ticket do and behold the day comes and he's there to catch his ship and he's also prepared he knows that this is all i had no more money i need to pay for food lodging is taken care of i need to pay for food and i can't afford five star food yeah. so he carries his provision of bread it's it's one week so he carries his provision of bread and thinks i will live on this for one week the first day he's had all his bread sandwiches satisfied he's walking out in the deck he sees people ordering lobsters and prawns and big platters of unimaginable things that he's never seen before calls to himself it's expensive i can't afford second day he goes out he still had all his bread sandwiches but he's now feeling a bit tempted so he calls up this waiter and says can you do me a favor i don't know how much this will cost but can you give me some meal that i can have on the ship i will work for it i will do anything that you need so this man asks him have you bought the ticket yes i have got the ticket my accommodation is fixed but don't you realize food is covered that's how we work our provisions in life we think that there is a backup plan we need for everything because it's not adequate cover i don't know when the lord will move or pull his plug in my life there's no power of god required to propel myself on a daily basis i just needed once in a while like a boost i've got my ticket to heaven but i don't know that there is a power of god that is at work within me that can do things greater than what i can imagine but i don't want to use that power or i think i don't have that yet i think there are some people who are who are driven by that power and doing great things for god but i'm not there yet do you understand that there's no difference in the power of god given to each and every one of us there's no gradation there's no first class power second class power third class power it doesn't exist but what exists is the way that we perceive and use that power in our lives your willingness to work that calls for us to trust in god more than anything else as we close out today a prayer is that god works in our lives in very different ways let's not use others as a comparator to create controversies in our lives to see what god hasn't done 
But are we open enough to let God hear God and see God work through our lives for His glory? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts, Lord. It's not, it's not human wisdom, it's foolishness to the world, but truly the Christ of God. And it is not because of our rational thinking that we have understood this, but only by your revealing to us, O Lord. And we thank you that you have given us your power, the same power that has raised up Christ from the dead is prevalent in our lives. And we thank you that there is so much that we can do for your name. We pray that you may speak to our hearts, that we may not be skeptical, that we may not use rational to push you away, that we may not use excuses for you to work in our lives. Pray that your work in our lives may truly be complete in every sense, that we may grow up to the knowledge of Christ which you would want us to be. We thank you for your word that speak to us, Lord, and pray that it may continue to work in our lives for your glory. We ask and we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's most holy and precious name.